Good morning. Just last week, I learned that it was acceptable to bring my cell phone up on stage with me in the event we may have an emergency. The good news is Kathy's not pregnant. Thank God. But we do have half-price turkeys this week. And I'm a little alarmed we may be running short. So I don't think it'll go off. But in the event it does, I'll be rushing right out of here and somebody will have to finish up. No kidding. After service that uh, last week, Ben walks out and uh, he says, uh, sure enough, my phone went off. And as you all remember, he took a look at it and says, oh, my gosh, it's not Olivia. Thank goodness. Now, just to let you know that Ben and I have a little more in common than you might think, his text message was the fact that he got alerted that his favorite baseball team picked up a new player. (laughs) I'm sure Olivia was relieved. Let's go ahead and get, um, get started this morning. Um, this will be the fifth time I've had the privilege to, uh, to fill in on the pulpit and share from some of my uh, personal experiences, and more importantly, what God's Word has to say about several of the relevant areas of our life. In the past, I have spoken about money, time, parenting, and most recently, treating every area of your life as your ministry. Today, I'm going to share some personal situations, and again, more importantly, what the Scriptures say about treating our spouses, our kids, our friends, our jobs, in such a way that people around us can tell that we are Christians. When I walked into this church, well, it wasn't right here, it was over on the, uh, in the other building about 17 years ago, I would have told you I was a Christian because I believed in God. It didn't take me long to listen to godly men like Joe LaRue and Steve Mazingo and Tom Harrigan years ago to figure out that uh, I was playing the game without really being a Christian. Over the course of time, I've had the opportunity to grow in my walk with Christ through hearing a lot from different people, whether it be in small groups, whether it be from the pulpit, uh, whether it be through Scripture itself. So what I'm going to do today is just touch base briefly, in the time that I'm allowed, about how people around us can tell that we're a Christian, that there's something different about us, whether it be in the way we treat our spouse, our children, our friends, our jobs, and this wouldn't quite be a message for me if I didn't include athletics and sports in some way. So we'll finish that up as the, uh, the last point. But before we get started, let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Lord, we know as Christians, we will spend eternity in heaven with you and your son, Jesus. Father, let me just take these few minutes to read through your word and for you to speak through me through some different examples and scriptures about how we can better behave in all areas of our life to make sure we reflect your son Jesus in all we do. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be using an NIV Bible this morning, and I'm going to go through probably about ten scriptures or so. They will be up on the screen for you, so if you can't flip back and forth uh, that fast, uh, you can reference... uh, the screen up front. But we're going to start in Ephesians, verse 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Pretty simple words, pretty hard to do. Let's be honest, most of us as spouses have fallen short of the mark on several different occasions. If I was completely honest, I could tell you that I've lied, I've misled, and at times mistreated my wife. And what kind of fun would this be without any examples? I have lied, as we all have. One of my favorite, uh, well, isn't that something else? I have a favorite lie. That was even unrehearsed. I'm kind of afraid of animals, as some of you may know, especially dogs. I walk into somebody's house and I'll ask them politely to put their dog up because I'm afraid. And early on in our dating life, um, we were in a situation where there was a squirrel nearby. And apparently I act a little more squeamish than normal around this squirrel. And again, I don't remember all the details because it was probably about 30 years ago. So I concocted the story at that time that I was bitten by a squirrel at one time and had to get rabies shots. And I didn't want that to happen again. And I was probably, I don't know, 20, 21 years old at the time. Got married when I was uh, 22. And probably 10 years after that, when we were visiting my mother as a family with uh, Kathy and uh, my two kids at the time, um, the truth came out. And again, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but uh, Kathy brought up the fact, well, oh my gosh, he, he was bitten by a squirrel. And my mom says, what? He was never bitten by a squirrel. So 10 years I was living that lie. Granted, I was not a Christian at that time, so I wasn't even thinking about it was a sin. I was thinking about, my gosh, how am I going to prove to this wonderful woman that I'm dating that I'm not some kind of wimp that's afraid of dogs and, more importantly, little tiny squirrels. So I've lied. I've misled her on multiple occasions about things where maybe they weren't really lies. And worse than that, I've involved my children in that. Some of you may know I have a soft spot for ice cream. Uh, you can also tell by looking at me that I've probably eaten a little too much of it from time to time. Uh, there were times where I had taken my children to the Dairy Queen when Kathy was at work or doing something else constructive. And I said to them, and I remember this line specifically, who really wins if mom finds out we went to the Dairy Queen? <laughs> None of us. None of us really win. So... We're not going to outright lie, but what are the chances she's going to ask us, did you go to the Dairy Queen? So multiple times uh, we'd be sitting there with a little smirk on our face about how we just pulled one off um, where we misled her. I've been known to even have a pint of, say, Ben and Jerry's on occasion and make sure the carton got buried far enough under the trash that there's no way she would have seen it when the trash got taken out. So I have misled her. I have mistreated my wife on occasion. And I was reminded of a sermon Eric Riddle preached a couple years ago when he was uh, graciously filling in this for us. And it was called Love Your Wife Sacrificially. And he pulled this article from the Saturday Evening Post. And I loved it. So I thought I would share it with you again today because I'm certain there's a great many people in the room that weren't here on that day. The, the title of the article is called The Seven Ages of the Married Cold. It revealed the reaction of a husband to his wife's cold during their first seven years of marriage. It goes something like this. The first year, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. 
and there's no telling about these things with all this strep throat going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll be bringing you meals in from Rosini's. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. The second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I called Dr. Miller and asked him to rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl, please, just for Papa. The third year. Maybe you'd better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something up to eat. We do have a good can of soup in the pantry. The fourth year. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids, washed the dishes, and finished the floor, you'd better lie down. The fifth year. Why don't you just take some aspirin? The sixth year. I wish you'd just gargle or something instead of sitting around all evening barking like a seal. The seventh year. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia? That's the decline of marriage as seen through the common cold. A funny look at a not-so-funny topic. I would certainly hope that over the course of all of these mistakes I've made, I've started to get a few things right over the course of time. And I can tell you what hopefully headed me in the right direction was sitting in those chairs, listening to godly men preach sermons from, from Scripture, sitting through small groups like Sacred Marriage, being surrounded by good examples in my neighborhood and in my friend group, and being able to see what it's like to be a godly husband. I've come up with great lines over the years. We were sitting in a leadership meeting and we were planning our next uh, elder meeting. And it, the Sunday that we were due happened to be February 14th. And one of the other, el other elders said, oh, that's Valentine's Day. I said, every, every day is Valentine's Day at the Hunter House. And I'll be darned if I don't get reminded of that every time we set up a meeting. But seriously, folks, that's what it entails. How do you treat your wife like a Valentine or that it's sweetest day every day through making small sacrifices and doing the little things each and every day? I'm reminded of a close friend of mine, who, uh, a Christian man who was divorced after 25 years of marriage. We were driving to a business meeting in the car, and I said to him, My gosh, what do you think happened? And he says, You know, I don't know. I thought everything was great. But, Craig, I can tell you what I've learned from the conversation afterward. I should have spent more time watering the garden, making certain that my wife knew what I thought of her, making certain that we remained together on the things we had in common. i got to tell you, that's been a hard part for me. But I, most recently, I could be found at the bookstore reading a book in the corner while Kathy shops for books on some of our date nights. It's about making small sacrifices um, to make certain that the one you love feels well cared for. Lord knows she has made a lot of sacrifices. She's dug many throws out of the dirt for me over at first base and hopefully will continue to do that for many years. We all have lots of room to improve, so let's not forget it. Please don't take those ones you love the most for granted. Many of us in the room are parents as well, so let's look into God's Word for instruction. First in Proverbs 22, 6 for some general instruction. And then in Titus 2, 7 and 8 for some more specific details. I learned a long time ago that my eyes weren't good enough to see off the back of the screen. So I'd have to, uh, to flip my, uh, my Bible. Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. And then flipping to Titus. 
And again, that is on the screen for you. Verse 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. I can tell you that early on when I was bringing up my kids, you might even take the word training and turn it into coerced. I did a real good job of training them and doing all the things that I liked to do. So that one of them might say, Hey, Dad, can we go to the batting cages? Hey, Dad, how about we go out for ice cream? There's that ice cream word again. I vividly remember my young daughter, Sydney, at the age of about four, when it was time to go to bed, looking me in the eye with that face and said, Isn't there a game we can watch before we go to bed? Typically, there is a game you can watch before you go to bed. Now especially. Uh, On a more serious note, we are the ones that set, set the examples for our kids. Things like family worship Sunday, having your kids next to you, having a good understanding of what it's like to sing and to praise God, what it means to sit still and pay attention and behave yourself while listening to God's word. In your household, what it means to have family dinners, um, to pray together, whatever it is you do at your house that builds tradition within your family. Your children are always watching you. Small things can make a big difference. I know at our house we had a rule, no TVs in the bedrooms. We were going to be together as a family in the evening. We were going to watch TV together. We were going to eat together. uh, We were going to go to ball games together. If somebody had a game, we were going to do it as a family. I'm reminded of a funny story over in Sunblessed Farms where we live. There's a neighborhood garage sale every year. And there was somebody selling cheap T-shirts. Um, They worked for the NCAA, and they had some uh, T-shirts that they were selling. And uh, I gave Nick $5 to go buy some of these T-shirts. And I I don't know how old he was at the time. He had to be 10 to 12. And out of the corner of my eye, Kathy and I see him coming down the street carrying a 22-inch TV that he picked up for $5 that he was going to put in his room. Resourceful young man he was. The TV ended up in his room, but till this day, and he's 25 years old, and he's been back and forth three or four times getting his bachelor's and then master's degree and back and forth. The boy does not have cable in his room. We have stuck by our, uh, by our guns. So just a small thing that we wanted to do at our house. While I was preparing um, a couple weeks ago for the sermon, I, was, uh, I ran across a quote, a quote by St. Fr- Francis of Assisi. And it says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I thought that was a wonderful quote that lets us know that our children are seeing our behaviors. How are we interacting with our spouse? How are we treating the salesman who interrupts our dinner when we have to go to the front door? Uh, How are we treating our business partners if they happen to be nearby when we are talking on the phone? Our children are watching everything we do. Um, Not just at that young age, but as they grow older as well. I'm reminded also that some of us have strong personalities and can at times be overwhelming or overbearing to our children. There was about a dozen of us surrounding our our living room one day doing small group and we were doing a parenthood study. And I was uh, reminded when I was preparing of a verse in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 that I would like to share with you. It's up on the screen. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. 
Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Nick had just come in from work at the time. I asked him if he had heard what we were talking about. He looks me right in the eye and he says, you do your parts, I'll do mine. Um, apparently, I can be exasperating at times. I'm not sure exactly how I was to, uh, to take that. But it just gives us good advice at how we're supposed to treat our children, how we're supposed to bring them up, how we're supposed to set the example, how we're supposed to be leaders in our household. While only some of us are married and only some of us have kids, we all have friends. The book of Proverbs does a wonderful job listing multiple different um, resources in terms of how we should select, how we should maintain, and how we should grow our friendships. So we're going to spend just a minute in Proverbs going through a few verses there and then also sharing a couple of examples. We'll start in Proverbs 22. Verse 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. We're given guidance there that we need to choose our friends wisely. Those are people we're going to spend a lot of time with. Those are people who are going to have influence on us. I'm reminded when I was a young man, 13 or 14, I hung, up with, hung out with a couple of guys named Paul and Mike. And at the time, we were doing things that 12 and 13-year-olds did. And when the time they got to be about 15 or 16, they were starting to do things that I didn't quite think was right. Um, so it was either I go down that road with them or I choose another road. Fortunately, there was a gentleman brought into my life at that time. His name was Charles. His parents went to church every day, um, Queen of Martyrs. I actually spent a couple uh, Saturday evenings in a Catholic church with them. That was my first exposure to, uh, to church and to, um, to an opportunity to, uh, to worship. But I look at that as a cross point in my life. I could have either continued to hang out with Mike and Paul and go down the road that they went. And either one of them graduated from high school on time. Both of them were in a significant amount of trouble. Or I could have went the way of Charles and his family where his family took me in. I spent numerous evenings at their home. I went to ball games with them. I was welcomed by them. I was loved by them. Um, Charles and his family valued education. He went on to the University of Michigan and uh, graduated and became a, a godly husband and father over the course of the years. So all of us will have that chance to choose our friends wisely. Let's make certain we do that. Moving on to Proverbs 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. How true is that? As we hang out with these friends, there's going to be time when either they come up short or we come up short in the expectation of friendship. Are we willing to overlook that? Are we willing to slide that under the carpet? Or are we willing to call them out? And more importantly, be called out when we're the ones coming up short. I'm reminded of a time where I was sitting on the back deck of... Uh, some family members of ours, and the conversation uh, headed in the wrong direction pretty quickly. And I was sitting by, a Christian at the time, and listening to a gentleman talk to his wife in a way that I was just shocked by. Just shocked. And at that point, I really didn't have the courage to speak up, and I'm not sure why. But as I pondered throughout the night, instead of sleeping a, a good night's sleep, I thought to myself, I owe it to this gentleman 
as a friend of mine to make certain I'm holding him accountable. So I did just that the next morning, and it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever had to do. I pulled him aside and I said, you know, the way you treated her is nothing like a way a husband should treat a wife. The words that you said, you've never said to me, or I've never heard you say that to anybody else. I don't really understand where you were coming from. We then went on to have a pretty good conversation about the matter, and I felt as good as possible about the fact that, you know, I was able to do that. I fortunately have surrounded myself with some friends who've been able to call me on the carpet among the numerous times I have come up short. Moving on, just a few um, verses down to number 17. Another piece of advice. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So now we're choosing our friends carefully. We're holding them accountable. And we're making them better men or women because we're in their lives. How do you challenge yourself to do that? I have a lot of friends in my life where my life would not be as fulfilling if they weren't in it. I have people willing to hold me accountable. I'm reminded of a time when I uh, called Rick Ayton on the phone and asked him if he would be standing for re-election for the elder board. And he says, Craig, I am so busy with my work, with my family, with all of the different commitments that I have. I really don't have a lot of time to put into it. But one thing I can say for certain in the 20 plus years I've served in leadership, that being on that team makes me a better man because of the responsibilities I'm, with, I'm fulfilling and the people that I am with. Rick, we're blessed to have you be a part of that team for so long. Thank you very much. I was in a social surrounding with one of my close friends, Matt Zimmerman. It was actually his daughter's wedding. And it was quite the party. Uh, we were at a country club and having a good time. And uh, he has an older brother named Eric. And he pulled me aside. And he said, Craig, I want to talk to you for just a minute. Thinking, oh, here we go. I wonder what Eric wants. So we're, I'm pulled aside by Eric. He says, you know what? I was snowmobiling with Matt the other day. And he's told me about how he's become closer to Christ. And that he was baptized at your church. I want to thank you for help saving Matt's life and help making him be a better man when he's around you. And Lord knows that uh, I've missed a lot of opportunities, um, but that was just one that I had the courage to take. So don't underestimate the role you play with your friends, whether it be people at work, your next door neighbors, your childhood friends, whoever it may be. Take advantage of those opportunities. Okay, we've talked about our families, our friends. Now, let's be honest. Most of us spend a lot of our waking hours at work. Let's touch base just a little bit about that. We'll read a couple of correlating verses also. First one in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. And again, that's up on the screen for you. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We have all been in situations at work where we'd rather be doing something else. If I was completely honest with myself, most days I'm working, I'd rather be playing golf or softball or 
going to the movie with Kathy or doing something else. Or there might be another job that I'd rather do. I don't know. I'm certain I'd rather play first base for the Tigers or middle linebacker for the Lions. But a long time ago, I realized that wasn't in the cards. So the trick was, now that I've got a job, how do I make the best of it? How do I make certain that above all else, I'm there to serve God every day with my positive attitude and with my effort? I've had some bad bosses over the years. I'm reminded of a time I worked for a gentleman who was uh, very difficult to understand. He was from Pakistan. And he would get to yelling and screaming and cussing and pointing to the point where it was very frustrating. I, re- I recall one time I was back in, a, in an office area and he was just reading me the riot act to the point where one of the secretaries next uh, store had tears rolling down her eyes. And after that, uh, I went over to her and I said, Barb, it's no big deal. I can take it. It's not a problem. She said, it is a big deal. That man's the devil. Um, so I comforted Barb and, and whatnot and uh, just went back and realized, you know what? That's just how my boss wants to treat me. And it wasn't just me. He treated everybody like that. But the easiest thing to do would be for me to turn around and go be that person to the rest of the people in that organization. So we've got bad bosses. We've got to figure out how to deal with it. Some of us may have lazy co-workers. I don't know if any of you do or you don't. I recall one time when I was a young man, the age of 17, I was out getting carts in the parking lot, which was a, a big part of my job at that point. And one of the older guys came up to me and he says, do you want anything from McDonald's? And I said, no, I'm not going to lunch for a couple more hours. What time are you going to lunch? He said, I'm not going to lunch. I'm just going to McDonald's to get something. So while on the clock, he got in his car and he drove to McDonald's and he picked up his lunch and he came back and somebody else was left to do his work. So the easy thing for the rest of the guys to do would be to not do the work because he wasn't doing the work or to make an excuse or to or to be a part of it worse yet. So we all have lazy co-workers. Folks, when you roll out of bed tomorrow morning, instead of saying I have to go to work, say I get to go to work. We are challenged in Scripture in Philippians 2. Verses 2, I'm sorry, Philippians 2, verses 14 through 15. That not only are we to go to work, we're supposed to like it. And in just a second, I'll read that scripture. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you are to shine like stars in the universe. So even though it's hard, even though you may not think it's fair, we signed up for it. And when we sign up for something, it's our job to make certain we're fulfilling that in such a way that Christ would do, would do it. Keep that in mind. We spent time on several things this morning. Most of us have room to improve on all of those. We can refer back to the scriptures. As we learn how to better treat our spouses, our children, our friends, our jobs. We'll take just a minute or two to talk about other areas of our lives, like the athletic fields and the competition arena. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we are told that we need to play by the rules. Similarly, 
If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. We're told in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, that we're to run the race in such a way as to receive the prize. So it talks a lot about our attitude and our effort, even in things like being on the softball diamond or the volleyball court or wherever it is we are going to be. Recently, I came across a quote by Vince Lombardi that said, Winning isn't everything. Wanting to is. Folks, we've got to realize we're going to come up short sometimes. Whether it's in a competition at work, whether it's a job that we did not get, whether it's a game that we were playing, whatever it is, sometimes we are going to lose. The key is, is how do we not let that affect our attitude, our behavior, and our effort? And that really, folks, is the key throughout all of these things. How do we prepare ourselves daily with a positive attitude, with a proper commitment, and being geared up to exercise the behaviors that are going to be pleasing to Christ? I've been in a lot of different environments, and I've seen a lot of different things over the course of the years, whether it be giving a, um, a guest speech in a classroom where I've seen students with their head down not paying attention, whether I've been in church and seen people doing multiple things on their phones or iPads that should be done at a different time and place other than in church. I've been in the workplace and watched people waste time instead of getting an honest effort in glorifying God and Christ with what they do. I've seen friends fall victim to other friends in their behaviors and taking their faith and putting it on the back burner. As we close today, I just want to challenge everybody about Christianity and about what it is that you signed up for. Some of us have crosses around our necks, fish symbols on our cars, Bible verses on our coffee cups, and are able to talk the Christian talk. Folks, we have been given the perfect example in the form of a living God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together today to make a commitment that we will move forward with our actions and our behaviors being more like that of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, on the cross so we could spend eternity with Him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father God, there are a lot of people in this room who are Christians. There are a lot of people who have said, I want to be more like your son Jesus each and every day. Father, you have outlined through Scripture a lot of different ways in which our behavior is to reflect that of your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that each and every one of us be able to go through your Word and to be able to be deep in prayer about how we are to handle ourselves in the areas of our lives, such as our marriage, raising our children, handling ourselves with our friends, at our workplaces, and within the field of competition. Lord, I pray that we rely on you and your son Jesus for guidance as we move forward. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.